Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, how many of you guys know that there's no shortage of people who want to give you advice these days? Am I right? Am I the only one? You can look on Facebook. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has advice they want to give. And how come it seems at times where the people that are giving advice are the people that usually need to follow their own advice, right? Have you ever noticed that? That the advice given is, is usually rarely asked for. Matter of fact, usually free advice is advice that you overpaid for. Let me just say it that way. Or I love this last quote. It's probably the best one. People give advice by the bucket, but they take advice by the grain. And that's so true today. And I'm telling you, as, as a former football player who played in the NFL, I played with the Saints, it's amazing that when I get on the field, 80,000 people pack the Superdome. They're roaring. It's, ah, and they're, they are the best advice givers around, they think, at the time, aren't they? Look, I'm a football fan now, too, so I'm a, I'm a good advice giver. Because they, they give great advice. They say, run faster, right? They're screaming, run faster, or you need to catch that. Good advice, right? Go get them. I'm trying to, right? So we, we have all of those. They're great advice givers, and they, they're screaming, and I'm on the field. I remember, I'm on the field. I'm running as fast as I can. I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. I'm doing all that I can, and you have someone in the stands yelling, run faster, and it's the same guy who got a Coke and a hot dog and could barely make it to his seat without getting winded. And he is, go, run faster. And I'm saying, why are you giving me advice? <laughs> why? I think we can all agree that not all advice is created equal. Why? Because the source matters. The source matters. And what if, what if today you got to sit down with someone, and you got to ask them, what was the most important advice that you could ever give me? One piece of advice above all else that you give me. What if you could sit down with a, with a Jeff Bezos? What if you could sit down with a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk? Someone at the pinnacle of their career where you could sit down and just analyze and go, give me that one most important thing that you would give to one person, someone that says, above all else, you need to follow this. You need to pay attention to this. And what's interesting is today, we're going to learn that. We're going to learn that one most important thing above all else. But it's not coming from someone that just had a lot of money. It's not coming from someone who was just successful. But it's coming from someone who we know in the Bible, it says that he had more wisdom than anyone on this earth outside of Jesus. That he actually had more money than Jeff and Bill and Elon all put together. That he had more knowledge than the person who invented electricity or the car. That he had more money, wealth, wisdom, and even wise, <laughs> wives more than anything else. And we see that he gives us the one most important thing to focus on. His name was King Solomon. We've been talking about him. We've been reading about him and taking his wisdom and advice because for 31 chapters, he wrote down for the next generation advice that he wanted to give us and others so we could live 
reign and thrive in life, not just survive. And for 31 chapters, he gave us axiom after proverb after proverb, and he gave us wisdom and wisdom and wisdom. And if you're like me, who in school just read the cliff notes, didn't really read the book, <laughs> I'm just going, just give me one thing here. I, I, I see 31 chapters. I don't want to read all that, Pastor Chris. Can you just give me one thing? I wanted to sit down with Solomon, just go, just give me that one thing. Just like, these are all great. Yes, do this, do that, do this, do that. But just give me one nugget. And if you're like me, you're just going, yes, I want one thing to focus on. I want to know that that most important thing. I want to know what really matters. And so we get to ask the question this morning to King Solomon because he answered it in the book of Proverbs. We get to ask him that one question and say, what is the most important piece of advice? What's that one thing above all else, King Solomon, that you could give us? Now, am I the only one that's interested in that this morning? I want to know that one advice that more than anything else, above all else, is going to affect my life. And he has it right here. And so this morning, I want you to picture, as we read this scripture, and we're going to pull that out in just a second, I want you to imagine you're sitting across at the table from King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, and he's sitting across, and you're asking him, tell me that one thing. Tell me that one most important piece of advice. And he begins to speak to you like this. Proverbs chapter four, starting in verse 20. Here's what he says. He says, listen carefully, my dear child. He calls us his child. He says, listen carefully to everything that I teach you. Here's what he's doing. He's setting it up, okay? He's setting up. Why is he doing that? Because he doesn't just want you to throw out the book because you got this one piece of advice, He's going, I want you to listen to everything that I've taught you. And here's what he says, and pay attention to all that I have to say. So fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. And he pauses. He pauses because he's about to give us that one thing. And in verse 23 Here's what he says. So above all, above everything, most important advice that we can give from the most wise person outside of Jesus says this, guard the affections of your heart. Why? For they affect all that you are. And pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Think about this for a moment. Just step back and rein in the truth and the advice that he is trying to give us this morning. That he says that one most important thing to focus on above all else is what? Your heart. Now, if you're like me and you read this verse and you're just going, great, my heart. Why your heart? Because you can't get life right if you have your heart wrong. You can't get your life right if you have your heart wrong. But I'm doing all the right things, pastors. I'm trying. I mean, you and Pastor Jacob tell me to follow this book, and I'm trying to follow the wisdom. Hey, we have, that's great. We're all wonderful. But you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. And watch this, with the wrong heart. Why? Listen, look at me. This is so big. Don't miss this. Because God cares more about your heart than he does about your behavior. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your hands. 
he captures the real essence and the core of who you are by your heart because he knows if I get your heart, I'll get your hands too. This is what he wants from us. So Solomon's going, I know it's gonna sound weird, but this is the one thing that you really need. Your heart must work for your life to work. There's no way around this one thing. And this morning, Solomon gives us that very thing that we need to focus on. It is our hearts. So Pastor Chris, what is Solomon telling us? Number one, here's what he's saying. He's saying, your heart is visible. Did you know the Bible speaks over a thousand times of the heart in and of itself? Not the physical heart, but really the, the heart that we're talking about, the biblical spiritual heart that, we, that God speaks of. Why? Because it's the core of our very being. It's where all our emotions, our desires, and our passions live. And Solomon is saying, guard the affections of your heart. The affections are those things that you're drawn to. Those things that pull you in, right? Those things that really tug at your heartstrings. And Solomon's saying you need to guard that because not everything out there is healthy. Amen? We know that. Not everything out there is going to feed that heart to point it towards God. And he's saying, but I want you to notice something. That your heart is visible. That even, watch this, the unseen things in your heart determine what is seen outside. The unseen things that are happening in your heart determine what is seen in public. Why? Because your heart is the source, the wellspring of your life, and it feeds every other area that you can imagine. So the affections of your heart show, eventually show what you stand for. How, how many of you have heard the term, you know, you wear your heart on, on your sleeve. How many have heard that phrase, that kind of term, you wear your heart on the sleeve, right? People would say that about me, uh, Basically, that means that I can't hide anything and that I'm an emotional person. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. But, but I am. I'm very passionate. I, I live full speed no matter what direction. And I, I, I can't hide anything. When it's inside of me, it just wants to come out. And so I, that's the way I've always been wired. It's the way God has wired me. And so what's interesting is as I began to do a study about that phrase, he wears his heart on his sleeve, it actually comes from uh, medieval jousting times, which I thought this was very interesting. Come from medieval jousting times where knights, before they would go into a jousting competition, they would wear on the outside of their armor, they would tie a token around or some sort of represent, something representing um, really on their arm. They would tie like a scarf or they would tie maybe a, a, a ribbon of the lady or the woman that he was going to win that battle for, right? Men, don't get any ideas. If I see you walking around with your wife's scarf on your arm, I'm just going to pull it off, okay? That's just weird. But they did that. Before they went into battle, they would, they would, before they jousted in the competition, they wanted everybody to know what their heart's affections were. They wore what was on the inside on the outside of their sleeve. Their heart was on their sleeve. And they would go into battle and they say, not only is my love for this woman, but I'm going to win the competition for this lady. Why? Because that which is inside will eventually come outside. 
You can't hide the affection of your heart. It will show through in one way or another. Some of you have been on some dates with some people if you're single or before in your single days and you went on a date and you're like, he's cute. He looks really, he's really nice and sweet. Then the next, the next time you, you thought like, he's a monster. I'm not going back again, right? Why? Because something you saw eventually who he really was and you're going, I don't really want a part of that. It's visible. Whether you know it or not, your heart becomes visible. You cannot hide what's on the inside. It's shown, Proverbs says it, Solomon says it again in Proverbs 27. Here's what he says. As a face is reflected in the water, so the heart reflects the real person. So watch this. He didn't say the real person reflects the heart. He says the heart actually reflects the real person. He says, you want to show somebody, you want to know who somebody is? Just look at them. I'll show you what's in their heart. Because why? Our heart is visible whether we know it or not. And this comes out, we see this in the story of Judas. Because no one's named Judas here. Why not? Because he's a betrayer. No one wants to name their kid. And if you are named Judas, I'm so sorry for you. So sorry. Okay, this isn't for you. But I'm just saying, no one wants to do that because he was a betrayer. Watch this. He, he was around Jesus just as much as the other 12. He was heard Jesus just as much as the other disciples. He saw the miracles. He was close to Jesus. He slept with Jesus, ate with Jesus, walked with Jesus, was with Jesus. Watch this. Isn't it funny how we can be still close to Jesus but not really with Jesus? Why? Because the affection of his heart was towards money and not towards Jesus. And when did it show? It showed when it needed to show. When he sold Jesus out for what? For money. He let the affection of his heart for money. He didn't guard against it. He let it wide open and said, that's gonna be my affection. That's gonna be what my heart is. But Solomon says, guard it, guard it. Why? Because in Luke chapter six, Jesus says this, the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces what? good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure in, in his heart produces? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What is inside of us will determine what comes out of us. In other words, mark, mark these down, the health of our hearts will determine the health of our behavior. The health of our hearts will determine the health of our behavior. Pastor Chris, how do I see the health of my heart? How do I do that? This is very simple, yet it's a very hard thing to do. Let me help you this morning. This is very difficult. You ask. Now the question is, who do you ask? And some of you go, I want to ask my best friend because they love me. No, 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 no. You need to ask someone that's going to tell you the truth. Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a godly friend. And here's what you ask them. Hey, what do you see that's revealed in my heart through my actions? That's hard to do. But the second and most important thing you need to do, we need to ask God to examine our hearts. Examine our hearts. I say this every single morning. It's one of my personally favorite prayers that I just declare to God in Psalm 139. As a psalmist is crying out, he's reaching out, and he's saying, God, examine me. Here's what he says. He says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through and find out everything that may be hidden within me. 
Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares and see if there is any path of pain that I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. Our hearts are visible, so we need to guard because that which you see comes from that who you are. We have to guard that. We don't have to just guard the visible. Your heart's not just visible. Number two, your heart is vulnerable. Your heart is vulnerable. What is your heart vulnerable to? Let me just say this. It's vulnerable to almost everything, we know. And especially to bad calls that are made in NFC Championship games that keep us from the Super Bowl. You guys see where my heart was at right there. We're vulnerable to, our hearts are moldable and vulnerable to everything. And we guard the affections of our heart because the heart can become attached in unhealthy ways. It's vulnerable. Now, let me ask you a question and I want you to participate a little bit. What's the one thing that is with us wherever we go that has all the answers, that hears us and speaks to us in our time of need, that directs and guides us and is there when we lie down and when we wake up and lights the path in the darkness and is with us always? What is that thing? No, it's our phones. We all know that. Now, it's true. It speaks to you, whether you know, you can speak to it. Does it guide you in the darkness when you're getting out of bed and you want to turn on the light? We know that. It speaks to you. Does it hold answers? Sure it does. Does it have directions to guide, guide you? Absolutely. These phones, phones aren't evil. They're not inherently evil. This is not what it's, watch this. It's the affections of our heart and the access to the information that makes it evil and unhealthy. We we can't sit here and say that all technology is evil and anything that you have is evil and it's going to attach itself to your heart. It's not necessarily true. But when we look at our phones, we go to bed with them next to us. They're near us. They're always with us. I mean, I've seen teenagers when they drop it off for camp, literally tremble. They're like, I don't get this back for a week. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, it is crazy. They're trembling and then they don't want it back at the end of the week. They're like, I don't want it back. God, take it away. Because it, it, it's, it's an unhealthy attachment at some point. There's something that begins to happen there where we rely so much on these phones, We rely on technology, and this isn't a bad thing. I don't want you to go back to the past. Please don't print out MapQuest and try to get to somewhere with a sheet, okay? I want you to use your phone. It is okay. The problem is when we rely on our phones and the dependency upon our phones or technology or anything that is not of God, when it affects you emotionally and spiritually, there's an unhealthy attachment. And that could be anything. When it attaches it, when you're, you didn't guard your heart against the, your, your heart's affections and it's attached itself to you, it becomes idol worship. And you're going, whoa, that's a heavy word. Pastor Chris, don't say that. That's like Old Testament stuff. We don't really have like idols in, this, in, my, in my house or anything like that. Yes, you do. You, we just don't carve it out of wood anymore. It's made with the screen. It's just made with the screen. Watch this. Idol worship is anything that takes the place that only God can have. That's why he gave us the first commandment, didn't he? Thou shalt have no other God before me. And the Israelites, God's people, were terrible at this. 
So don't feel bad about yourself. They were terrible at this. They didn't have phones, but they were so desperate. So God would save them and they'd be like, thank you, God, you're awesome. And he'd be like, I'm your only God. They're like, yeah, you're, you're our one and only. And then time would go by and they would get comfortable and all of a sudden they go, we need something we can feel and touch because this God is like too big and too weird for us. Let's carve something. Let's create something and then we'll worship that thing. And so God would go, why did you guys have to go and do that? And so he would have to, like a good father does, discipline his children because they were going the wrong way. The affections of their heart, they weren't guarding. So he had to pull them down. He gave them into slavery. And so they would be like, God, we need you. We repent. We shouldn't turn away from you. And then he would send a judge or somebody to pull them out and they'd go, we love you, God. You're our one and only. And then after a while, that, would, that cycle would repeat and repeat. And we see throughout scripture, literally that's what happens. The whole book of Judges is about the fall and rise of God's people. Why? Because they didn't guard the affections of their heart. They wanted to create a God that could fill the space that only God should be filling. They fill them. And, and this is not, once again, this is a modern thing. This is not an Old Testament thing because even John tells us that we need to watch ourselves. He says this, little children, I love the Amplify version, little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourselves from idols. What are idols? They're false teachings, moral uh, compromises, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. It's why Jesus said, the first thing he said, I want you to understand the greatest commandment is love your God with all of your, all of your heart. Your heart's vulnerable, our heart's vulnerable to become attached and molded around something that isn't God because we want it to desperately fill the spot of God. We're vulnerable. The possessions in our life become idols that we worship and we feel like we can't get enough of. But it's not just possessions. Our heart's vulnerable to, to also people. How many know that? To people, to relationships. And some of you, when you heard this verse and you, you heard Proverbs 4.23, you started amening. Amen. Guard your heart, pastor. Amen. A amen. It's a wellspring. Guard your heart. And here's what you're doing. You're justifying you pushing out relationships that you need in your life. You're shunning people. You are shunning people. Watch this. Because maybe someone's hurt you in the past and that person reminds you of them, so you shun them. Uh-uh. And you begin to build these fences up to guard yourself. You see, you see guarding as a defensive mechanism. The Bible speaks of it as going on the offensive and understanding what is truly important in your heart. And so we end up building these fences when we get hurt. But what you don't realize is, yeah, you might be keeping out some things, but you're in prison too. In a prison that you made and it's lonely. And Pastor Jacob spoke about isolation and what it does. I'm telling you, I believe more people are locked up in isolation through the relationships. They put up fences more than anything, more than just being alone at their house. They pushed everybody out. Why? Because you've been hurt. And I get it. I understand it. But the problem is, listen to me, God uses broken vessels to pour out his goodness upon us. And that, those are the solutions. So when you push away people, you're pushing away God.
You know, Dr. Henry Cloud, a great author, said this statement, and I love it. He said this, life revolves around gates and fences. He said there needs to be a good balance in your life of gates and fences. Let me explain. It's this. It's that sometimes for those of you who have been hurt a lot, you're a fence person. You put up a lot of fences and you just push everybody out. But some of you let too many people in. There's too many gates that you have. And you let everybody in and you're going, why do I feel so hurt all the time? Because you're not guarding your heart. You're letting anyone and everyone come in. You're letting all the information, all the relationships, and guess what? It's tainting your heart. You're not guarding it. And so we need a good balance of fences and gates. Why? Because we need gates to let the right people in and fences to keep the wrong people out. We need gates to keep the right people in and to let the right things in. We need fences to keep the wrong people out. And that is something in our lives where we begin to guard our hearts because it's vulnerable to people because we've been hurt. And listen to me, guard your heart does not mean you protect yourself from getting hurt at all cost. Guard your heart means you protect your heart from sin at all cost. And listen to me, it's sin you're protecting against. People might be sinful, but you're protecting against sin. Those are two different things. And for those of you who want to lock your your heart up and just put it in a box and go, well, I'm not going to get hurt. Listen to me. Love, there's always a risk when it comes to loving. There's always a risk. There's always vulnerability that comes when you're putting your heart out there. You can't completely guard against it, but you open the right gate and you put the right fence up and you do a pretty good job of stewarding the heart that God has given you. And that's what we're called to do. Why? Because your heart is vulnerable. And number three, here's where we close. Your heart is valuable. It's not just visible. It's not just vulnerable. But your heart is valuable. Have you ever noticed that when you're taking the trash out, you have that big green, blue, whatever color it is, that big trash can you're dragging out to the street and you leave it out there, and then you go inside, and you end up going to bed. Never once have I ever done this or said this to myself. I really hope that no one steals that trash can outside. <laughs> Am I the only one that's never worried? I've never, I've never laid my head down and go, I really, I'm going to pray that no one steals that thing. I have five kids. You can steal all the trash you want from me, please. Why is that? Because you don't guard things that are worthless. You only guard things that have value. And when you put that trash can out, you're going, it's trash. I don't need to guard it. But my Super Bowl ring, you better believe I'm guarding it. And none of y'all know where it is, so I'm not telling any. Why? Because it's valuable. It's valuable. And the crazy part about it is that most of us don't see our hearts as valuable. And what you don't realize is the enemy, the Bible says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Not your life. Listen to me. He's coming to kill, steal, and destroy your heart. To do whatever it takes to tear down that which is most valuable to God. 
Once again, God is not after your behavior. He's after your heart. So the enemy's going to be after your heart. He's going to be after your heart because the enemy knows this. He knows 1 Peter 2.9 better than we know it. He believes 1 Peter 2.9 more than we believe it. Well, Pastor Chris, what does 1 Peter 2.9 says? Here's what it says. It says, but you are God's chosen treasure. Some of you just need to hear that this morning. Let that wash over you. You are God's chosen treasure. You're God's treasure. You're not trash can that he leaves out in the cold and doesn't worry about. You're his treasure. You're priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of the darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. And he did this, why? So that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. The enemy knows that you're God's treasure. The question is, do you? Your heart's valuable. And Solomon said, above all else, above all else, you need to guard it. He didn't say if you get around to it. He didn't say if you have time whenever you get a second. He said this is your top priority. Why? Because your heart is where your identity is housed. The heart carries and houses your identity in Christ. And so what the enemy is doing is I want to steal your identity. I want to get you to question who you are and what God created you to be and to do. I want to steal, kill, and destroy who you think you are. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying you're a nobody. He's saying you won't make a difference in this world. He's saying you can't do anything. And can I tell you, as a pastor, I see this way too much. I'll never forget the conversation I had with a 15-year-old girl five years ago. I was a youth pastor at the time. And we had an amazing youth night and we had hundreds of kids pack this place. God was moving, it was amazing. Afterwards, we went out in the lobby and the good times continued and I walked outside and right through this breezeway right here, there's a bench. And I saw a girl just sitting on the bench. She was just looking around. And as I walked past, just greeting some of the kids and saying hi, the Holy Spirit said, go, go, go talk to her. So I walked back by again. He said, I want you to speak to her. So I walked up to her. I said, hey, hey, what's your name? She told me your name. And I asked this question. I said, tell me your story. She kind of looked down for a second. She said, well, Pastor Chris, um, I'm on my eighth foster home now. She goes, I don't know how long this will last, but I was dropped off at my aunt's and uncle's house when I was a baby, don't know my parents. I've been physically, emotionally, sexually abused, passed around to my family members. Nobody wanted me. I was finally given up for adoption and put into social services where I've been now my eighth family. And I looked her dead in the eyes and I had to hold back tears when she said this. And she looked at me, she said, Pastor, She said, I feel like an accident. 
And let me tell you, as a father, my heart broke. Why? Because this girl had no value. She couldn't see the God that was inside of her. She couldn't see the God that created her. She thought she was an accident. And as I looked at her, I just put my arm around her. And I just said, let me tell you something. I said, there are two reasons why you have value. I said, number one, because the God of the universe created you. And you are made in his image. You are not an accident because God doesn't make mistakes. He is God Almighty. I said, he created you. Created in the image of the God that literally created everything. And I said, and number two, I said, because God paid the highest price possible for your heart. You want to know the value of something? It's not what the price tag says. It's what somebody's willing to pay for it. And I told, looked at this girl and I said, Jesus paid it all for you. I said, it is the highest price that God the Father could have possibly paid. And he decided that you were worth it and he paid for it. And I said, you need to know you are more valuable than you could ever imagine. Look at me right now. That girl was 15, but I've been dealing with 65-year-olds who still need to hear that. Look at me. You're more valuable than you realize because God paid the highest price possible not to make you feel guilty or to all of a sudden change your behavior so you could start doing good things. He did it because he wanted to give you a life and a heart that is new and fleshly and passionate and amazing and valuable. And so we guard against that because it is so valuable. It was paid with the highest price possible. We value our lives. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. The God that is inside of you and paid for you is more than enough for you today. We just have to believe it and receive it. Because Jesus didn't just hang on a cross, guys. He didn't just go, okay, cool, that's good enough. He didn't just pay for your sins. He gave us something in return. I call it the great exchange. Because when we laid on our lives to be born again and we say, God, you can have my heart. You can have all of it, my life, everything about me. He really wants our heart. And so we give it to him. But guess what? He gives us something in return. Ezekiel speaks of it. He speaks of what God is doing and will do when you receive him. And here's what he says. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You're valuable. I don't care if you think, I don't need to hear that. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. My heart's valuable. I'm going to guard my heart because I know I'm valuable. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything that he did. I didn't pay for it. He did. 
So I'm going to guard the affections of my heart because I know my worth is not in what I can do, but in what Jesus did for me. All we have to do is believe and receive that. There's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can earn. It's something that comes with revelation just to go, God, ah, I see it. I see what you paid for me. I'm not worth it, but you said I'm worth it. I'm going to believe it that I'm your treasure. And with that, we begin to value that which is precious to God becomes precious to us. Father, this morning, we thank you. Thank you that you value us more than we value ourselves at times. That you've given us a new heart for those who have been born again. That you've replaced this heart of stone, God, in this chest right here. And you've given me a heart of flesh. God, thank you for your tender mercies, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that our value is not predicated on what we can do, God. But it's always come from you. And today, I pray there's a renewed grace and a renewed value upon guarding our heart's affections, Lord. For it's going to affect everything that we are and everything we do. And Lord, we want our, our hearts right so we can have a right life, God. A life that's honoring and glorifying to you. So this morning, Lord, we surrender and we lay down everything that tries to speak against the value of our heart. And I pray we guard against and we begin to move towards what you say about our heart, God. And as that begins to happen, fruit will come out of it, Lord. For you have replaced the heart of stone with the heart of flesh. And I believe there are some hearts in here this morning, God, that they, they had a heart of flesh at one point, but some of it has turned to stone. There's still some hard places on their heart. Let today be a moment of surrender, God, right here and now. That by guarding our hearts, we actually lay down our lives. We give up in order to guard. Thank you for that kingdom paradox, God. Thank you for loving us so much of sending your son. And thank you, God, for the renewed grace and the renewed freedom, the renewed value of guarding our heart's affections. This morning, I want to ask you the most important question. Have you been born again? I didn't ask you if you were a Protestant, didn't ask you if you were a Catholic or what religious background you came from or whether you were baptized or christened. Those are all great things. I asked you, have you been born again? Have you laid down your heart and made the exchange for Jesus' heart? It only happens once. It's called being born again. And Jesus clearly said, you cannot enter in or even see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. For some of you, God is calling you this morning to make today your spiritual birthday. Where you have a physical birthday, where you were born once, you have a spiritual birthday. Where you are born again and you begin to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with him. This morning, I want to offer that to you. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? It's as simple as ABC. A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. 
be believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for all your sins and see we confess him as Lord and as Savior over our entire lives. Then and only then can you be born again. Well, in just a second, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if you go, Pastor Chris, I, I, wanna, I, I wanna be born again today. I want today to be my spiritual birthday. And on three, I want you to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, by faith, I want to be born again. I'm not going to embarrass you. No one else is looking. All heads bowed. All eyes are closed. But on the count of three, if that's you, say, include me in that born again prayer, Pastor Chris, that you're going to pray. I want you to do that. And one, he's called you here. You're here for a reason. It's not an accident. Two, you have more value than you can even imagine. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. Say, that's me, Pastor Chris. Include me in that born again prayer. I see you. Thank you. One, two, three. I see you. Four, raise it high. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. I see you. Ten. Awesome. It's 11, 12, 13. I see you back there. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. If you raise your hand once, you don't ever have to do it again. But if you want to join those, I want you to raise your hand now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. I see you. Thank you church with all those that raised their hand this morning to be born again. We're going to say this prayer all together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning.